still quarantined over there, girl? Absolutely. How about you? Across town. Same, right? Same. Still quarantined over there. So close yet so far. Fucking perfect. It's almost a year. Can you believe it? Awesome. Great. I get- Great. <laughs> it's chaos down here, Tom. It yeah. is chaos. Hey, Patrick Hines. Banana. Um, you guys, before we get to the episode, if you want more GP and me, join us on the Patreon. Over 150 full bonus episodes to download and binge right now. Girl, we are in the middle of a wilderness of error. It's the Jeffrey McDonald Did He or Did He Not Murder His Whole Family docu-series. Yes, yeah, spoiler, not spoiler. He totally did. But oh my God, we have so much shit to say. Like our feelings change day to day. Not about that he did it or not, but like up with who we're speaking with. People are being crossed off the list. They're being added to the list. It's a whole thing. You guys, I'm, I don't know. I do go back and forth on the guilt. Errol Morris is, is involved. It is a true mystery. I am totally obsessed. Join us, won't you? There's yeah. just so much happening. <laughs> you guys, it's awesome. So, um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark and Fear City and the Menendez murders and Lacey Peterson and Serial. And Don't F with Cats and Tiger King and I Think You Said Lorena and I Think You Said The Jinx. And we also have like every version of these episodes and after parties and sometimes we do video stuff and sometimes we send you stuff in the mail. It's a whole party. Everyone's invited. Yeah, it's really, really super fun. Also, join the Facebook group. Since we've been mentioning it again, girl, we've been getting so many new members. Come find your true crime fam, you guys. It's just a great place to hang out. You share your memes. You talk about true crime, you talk about the episodes, people always have so much to say. It's really the funnest of all places on the internet. I have to say, I've been more active in that group as of late. Oh, yes? Stacey and I FaceTimed last night. I posted about <laughs> it. A lot of people are like tagging me and stuff about dogs and Paul Holes, so how do I not comment? <laughs> Girl, what are we talking about today? We are talking about Alabama Snake on HBO. People have been asking the living shit out of this documentary. Yeah, so here's the thing. If you have a snake thing... Yeah, I do. I have a real snake thing. Do not watch this documentary. Listen to our coverage of it. You know, I don't have a snake... I know people who have intense snake fears. I'm looking at you, girl. And this didn't make me have one, but I was putting myself in your shoes thinking, oh, God. I know we've got bigger fish to fry, and I know it's like cockroaches. They didn't ask to be born that way unless they were actually reincarnated serial killers in which case you know the Ted Bundy snake I guess I I guess I don't feel sorry for you girl but like <laughs> it's not their fault but they are just the word they're awful girl they're just awful and here's the thing we will come to their defense yes, wholeheartedly yes, in this yes, yes. so here's the thing I liked this documentary you guys uh-huh. so this is the same director Theo Love who directed Cocaine Island which is what we toured with right before the world shut down right we loved Cocaine Island because the story was so ridiculous and it was stylized it's such yeah, yeah, a yeah. great way that like fits the story. Alabama Snake, I feel like, I get what Theo was trying to do. I think yeah. there's not much to the story, but we uh-huh. had to talk about it for an hour and 25 minutes and it felt really long. Theo, girl, I liked the documentary. I was really into it. I don't like snakes, but I liked the documentary. I loved him, but I was afraid of him. Fear and love. They went together. Scottsboro police say this five-foot-long poisonous rattlesnake was used as a weapon. The prosecution painted Glenn Summerford as a brutal, jealous husband. Why did these people have snakes? They handled them in their religious service. The man was put on trial for serpent handling. The word of God. Satan appears in the form of a serpent. I saw David's cast out. I saw my daddy do it. 
wanted to be a man of God. And to him, this would explain his innocence. There's more evil today than there ever has been. So if you get scared of it, you're going to pray. So what happened? As a man of God, you've got to tell me the truth. So you guys, it starts, we meet this guy, Dr. Thomas G. Burton. Some people call me a folklorist, sometimes a filmmaker. Some people call me a closet anthropologist. A folklorist, a filmmaker, a closet anthropologist. Let your freak flag fly, Dr. Burton. Ooh, you said that without tripping over those words. Good job, girl. I was, I was like, oh, do it, do it, do it. I was rooting for you so hard. I had to really think about it. I kind of really like this guy. He's like our narrator. He's the guy we'll learn that he like, he studies these religious people and their snake handling. And he's like studied them for like 40 years. Well, he's he calls himself a student of Southern Appalachia. And he calls them, you know, like mountain yes. people. Like I feel like that's a term we're not allowed to say. Like they can call themselves mountain people, but I feel like we can't. I think we had this conversation with the wonderful wild whites of West Virginia, right? So this is the other thing I was going to say. Like Appalachia is the wild and wonderful whites, right? I think it's Appalachia. Okay. It's like Oregon, Oregon, Nevada, Nevada. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Nevada. It's Oregon yeah. and it's Appalachia. But that's where they're from too, right? Yes. Like they are definitely the next town over. We are one strong drink away from getting in that drive through and asking for Fiesta's girl. I mean, we're right there. Like with the doors open, it's like, come on in. The water's Fiesta-y. <laughs> Nice and spicy. So anyway, I like this guy. Yeah, I, I like him too. So it, it, he's he's been like studying and teaching folklore right. since like the 60s or something. And he has this colleague and they work together to create this archive. And in 1973, Dr. Burton made this documentary called They Shall Take Up Serpents. And it's all about snake handling <laughs> in religion. And he says his words. In one case, we made a documentary about mountain people and the tradition of handling serpents. And the thing is, we see, like, pieces of this documentary. So we are now in this, like, Appala- Appalachian or Appalachian? I've been told it's Appalachian. <laughs> they will come for us regardless, girl. So I guess let's just tell that Louisa and hold hands and hope for the best. <laughs> Throw a rope in a river and I hope just... for the best. <laughs> All right, so we see video clips from this documentary, right? We see these fucking people holding snakes. The way they are manhandling these snakes, like, this was where I texted you. I was like, I don't know if this is funny. I don't like snakes, but, like, it's animal abuse. Right, and so this is just the very beginning. And They're rattlesnakes, right? Right. Just let the snakes be their snake selves in the woods. Yeah, I want everybody to take the opinion of snakes that the world had of gays in the 70s. Let them be their gay selves down in the village. You don't bother them. They won't bother you. Don't fence them in. No. <laughs> Give him a couple margs, Cosmo or two. Just... <laughs> Send him to a shitty part of town, let them revitalize the neighborhood, and then kick them all out so you can have your high-end real estate. It's exactly like that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So we're at this like event or whatever it is. Everyone looks miserable. There's a woman just yes. screaming. <laughs> screaming. Everyone looks sad and scared and horrified. And and our friend Dr. Burton is like While we were filming the service, one of the church members was bitten. What happened in that church had a profound effect on me. Someone got 
bit by a rattlesnake during filming. To which I said, good, yeah. good. Like, I'm sorry, but like, you can't manhandle these yeah. snakes like this. And then this fucking guy gets bitten. Are they rushing him to the hospital? No, girl. They sit him down in the pew and they just pray over him. Right. How do you think that's going to go, girl? Not well, sweetheart. Not <laughs> well. <laughs> This guy who's been bitten by a venomous rattlesnake is sitting in the pew. They're praying over him. There's like a time lapse of like an hour. They're walking him out the door. The guy can barely stand up. Yeah. It's weekend at Bernie's in Appalachia, yeah. girl. There's like 10 people <laughs> wrapped around this guy. And there's someone, again, this woman just screaming. <laughs> then they cut to some woman. She's got blood all over her blouse, her top. It's like, here's where I stand on all of this. This is like when the yeah. person jumps in at the tiger exhibit or whatever and the tiger bites yes. them and we kill the tiger. No. The tiger right. is going right. to tiger. Chris Rock said it when, when the tiger bit Siegfried and Roy. Like, that tiger didn't go yeah. crazy. That tiger went tiger. That's where bears right. going to bear. That's where that comes from. We stole that shit from yes. Chris Rock. Credit where credit's due. Totally. Leave the snakes alone. And here's the thing. When rattlesnakes rattle, they're doing it because they're stressed out. They don't rattle for yeah. fun. They don't rattle because they think right. it sounds cool. It feels good. <laughs> I will say that's where the gays in the 70s and the snakes differ. The gays in the 70s were rattling for fun. They were definitely <laughs> rattling for fun. The gays in the 70s did everything because it felt good. <laughs> The rattlesnakes, if it's rattling like that, it's because it yeah. is scared or it's trying to get away from a predator or something. So there's the soundtrack of this documentary is the rattling of rattlesnakes. And that just means that they're uh, not doing great. So we're with this guy, Dr. Thomas, and he's basically saying, like, I've chronicled these weirdos my whole life. But out of all of my experiences, there is one that stands out from all the rest. This story is a story of the serpent and the spirit. The one that, like, Theo is making into a documentary today, this is the most interesting one of them all. Well, yeah, it's bananas. Right. <laughs> so Theo divides this into chapters. So the first chapter is yes. Bite Nights, which feels very Rocky oh, Horror to me. Totally. <laughs> and that also feels very gays in the 70s to Again. me. Again. <laughs> this is going to be a theme all the way through the up, everybody. Pull over. Look, I needed something to hold on to. Thank you for giving me this life raft about comparing all of this to gays in the 70s. Again, they did it because it felt good. And you know what? More power to them. Exactly. So we're here with David and Bobby, right? David and Bobby are the dream team right now. Yeah. <laughs> they are the Jillian and Patrick of the Appalachia ambulance community. Right. So David's the paramedic and Bobby is the EMT. He's the ambulance driver. Also, like, David is the extrovert and Bobby is the quiet one. <laughs> we were here at the Pickle Wiggly when they gave us the call and that's when we said, well, we're not going to get to eat anytime soon. <laughs> Can I just point out, too, they are eating McDonald's out of the back of their ambulance, and it just gave me life. Like, during this interview, right? Like, yeah. Yes. They're like, you can hear the crinkle of the bag. Right. <laughs> can't let those fries get cold, girl. They're not the same when they're cold, girl. They're not the same, and you can't heat them up. It's like you have no. a very small window. <laughs> or else it's a lost cause. Or else, what are we yes. even doing here? What are we doing? Reheat soggy fries? Get out of here. No. Get no, out of here. please. So they tell us the story of what happened on bite night. They were at the Piggly Wiggly. All they wanted to do was get something to eat. And the Piggly Wiggly is a real place. It's not just my nickname from high school. Girl! <laughs> I hate when you say shit like that because it makes me so mad for you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I had a really, I had a lovely time in high school and I wasn't that heavy. <laughs> So they're at the big, it's been a long night. They just want to have a snack. Yeah. And so they get a call. Someone's been bitten by a snake. And they tell us. At the time, we didn't know any more about it than a possible snake bite. 
We have gotten calls like this before, but when you get there, there's nothing to it. Now, look, this isn't too out of the ordinary for them. Yes. They're like, look, this is Scottsboro, Alabama. It's super rural. Yeah. Uh, they're like, this isn't so out of the ordinary for us to get a call about a snake bite, right? So yeah. he's yeah. like, we get calls like this all the time. We go out and there's nothing to it. It's never that big of a deal. And I'm like, okay, oh, okay, city hick here. <laughs> in what world is a snake bite like never that big of a deal? I also imagine, too, that if you live in this area, you live there because you like to do woods stuff. Sure. But doesn't, like, just the knowledge of snakes living in the fucking forest, isn't that enough to keep you inside watching Netflix? I mean, if you think, and they're on their way, and they get a call, and they're like, oh, my God, girls, like, this is way bigger than your average snake bite. And as we got closer, uh, they told us to uh, go in code one, which is with the lights and sirens off. They didn't know exactly why, but now if the patient or whoever's calling you tell you this, you need to listen to them. There's a reason for this. So... They're driving. There are no lights on the road, right? The only lights on the road are from the ambulance. Yeah. We're going into the back, the back, back, backwoods of Alabama, everybody. Yeah. And this is when Bobby today is like, I don't like snakes. You don't come to me with snakes. That'd be like pointing a gun at me. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like snakes. I don't, just for the record. He just completely interjects and is like, I don't like them, girl. Yeah. I really don't like snakes. <laughs> so they show up to this place and this woman is walking towards them and she has, and this is like, I mean, this image is fake, by the way. It's totally stylized. Yeah, it's yes, not real, but yes. it is really disgusting and it's terrifying like there's no lights and they see this woman slowly walking towards them and she's a fucking mess and then it's like a jump cut to her hand and like chunks of her hand are missing because she's been bitten by a snake and it's very very infected and so bobby and dave our boys bobby and dave are like oh shit so they have to rush her to the hospital it's a critical situation it was black the skin was starting to die that's when I got real concerned because that gets in her bloodstream. It can go to your heart. We've got to get this girl over there in a hurry. They throw her in the back of an ambulance. You guys, these are people who are driving an ambulance in like the woods of Appalachia. They don't have anti-venom, which I learned is a thing today, but it exists and they don't have any of it in the ambulance. Two things. Is it anti-venom or anti-venom? Because I was going back and forth in my head about it. <laughs> Appalachia, Appalachia. We're going to have to just pick one. Potato, potato, great. We're going to be imperfect and you guys are going to have to just love us anyway. Look, it's episode 200 or whatever, you know? I know. We're huge in Appalachia, huge. girl. Every last white listens to us. <laughs> Can you imagine? Hey, girls. Um, but here's here's my other issue. You just said a minute ago, you get snake bite calls all the time. Why on <laughs> earth do you not have anti-venom in your ambulance? And I'll do you one better. We meet Jeanette. She's an ER nurse oh slash God. hero because she's yes. an emergency room nurse. Yeah. So your guys are all heroes. Totally. Great. But she's like. There were lots of strange things. Lots of strange things. You never know what's coming in. The snake bite was different. We didn't see a lot of snake bites to the magnitude of the one that occurred that night. We treated her, but you know, a small county hospital. Uh, we didn't have any venom. You know, we see crazy shit all the time. You never know who or what's coming in. This was no different. <laughs> However, we also didn't have anti-venom. And I'm like, wait a second. I know. And I'm also like, look, this woman in the in the ambulance is on death's door. Did you want to call ahead and see if the hospital had the anti-venom? I guess they figured what we're thinking. Well, the backwoods of Alabama, someone's got to have anti-venom here. <laughs> so they say they, quote, load her back up. This woman with, according to this documentary, her arm is about to fall off because it's so infected. They load her back up, as they say, into the ambulance and they have to drive 90 miles 
travels to Birmingham to get some oh anti-venom. Nobody in a stone's throw, that's a rural phrase, right? A stone's, you can't <laughs> find anti-venom in the backwoods of Alabama? What the hell is going on? So they say that on the way to Birmingham, this lady is telling David, one of the EMT guys, I can only get a limited amount of information in the back of the ambulance. She described a very gruesome story of her husband trying to kill her. On the way to Birmingham, this lady is telling David, one of the mm -hmm. EMT guys, a story about how her husband is trying to kill her. So that's the story. Like, this is what we're going to investigate right. for, like, the rest of this documentary. It's like, this woman's been bitten by a snake. Was it an accident? Was it potentially a suicide? Or is her husband trying to murder her via snake? Now, here's the thing. I did some Googling. There are different levels of poisonous snakes. Rattlesnakes, for okay. the most part, the rattlesnakes that are used in these kind of religious scenarios, situations, I don't even know what to call it. Yeah. They usually aren't fatal unless they go untreated for days like what's happening here. Yeah, because I keep seeing these people getting bit by snakes and then going to bed. Right. Well, or they have anti-venom or, you know, you're supposed to like suck out the venom. If you choose to do the outside, if you choose to go far <laughs> away, like if you got bit in some all alternate universe where the two of us are camping without our husbands and one of us gets bitten by a snake hopefully on our yeah. arm or hand one of us would have to suck out the venom and like that helps with the whole process apparently i would suck the venom out of your leg no questions asked no question girl what are you kidding no questions we would insta live the shit out of it while we were doing i was gonna say you know the content we'd get Ooh, that'll last for weeks you guys you guys julian sucking the venom out of my ass but we're also meeting all these cops like the cops that are in Scottsboro now and they're like heard the story since I was a kid my dad was an investigator at the sheriff's office when uh, chief Dahl, when this when this whole case went down it's not a story you hear every day anywhere else in the world religion relationships and murder booze and booze <laughs> tie all four of those together and you, you've got a story there's no question there Oh, this story is the stuff of legend. Like, we grew up totally. hearing about this thing. But this one guy who clearly doesn't listen to TCO or has ever watched a true crime <laughs> documentary in his life is just like, yeah. you don't hear about this every day. I mean, you have, like, religion, relationships, murder, and booze. And I'm like, sweetheart, you are truly new here, sweetheart. And the thing is, it's the rattlesnake as the murder weapon that makes it bonkers, girl. The booze, the religion, the relationship, the murder, that's all par yeah. for the course. It's the it's rattlesnake as the murder weapon. <laughs> That's the weird shit. I know. It's so crazy. So we meet this guy, Clarence. He was the lead investigator on the case or whatever. He's telling us they get the call about the snake bite. They go out to the house where this happened. We went out to her husband's house. He gave us permission to search his property. He carried us out there to where they kept the snake. He had him in a locked shed or something. And, like, right away, the guy, Glenn, the husband, who the woman is saying was trying to kill her, lets them in. He takes them out to the shed where the snakes are kept. And we see the video of this. Yeah. So just to put some some names here, it's Glenn Summerford, who is the husband. Yeah. And Darlene Summerford, his wife, is accusing Glenn of trying to kill her with a rattlesnake. Both real pieces of work, girl. <laughs> real, real pieces of work. So, again, like you said, Glenn gives permission. We have video of this whole debacle. It is bananas. We go into this guy's shed. He's got 50 rattlesnakes in various cages and these cops have to collect them because they are evidence. The biggest one, big diamond bag. Big snake. They put this noose around him and took him out and yeah, he 
can put up a fight. We confiscated all of them because all of them were potential weapons that could be used. And so we see them. I mean, you guys have seen these things. They have like these poles that have like nooses at the end of it. And like right, you get right. the noose around the snake's neck and that's how you pull it out. There's just one like shot of this cop trying to put this like huge diamond back rattlesnake into a box. And this is where I actually started to like get really upset. They are yeah. abusing these animals. Like they yeah. are throwing this snake into this box and like stomping on the box and kicking the snake, trying to get it in. And I'm like, look, the snake didn't ask to be born a snake. You know? know what I mean? And just let it be in the woods. Right. Like, just let it exist as what it is. Yeah. And for, just for a little bit of a visual, they're like four to five feet long. They're big. Yeah. And so even the cop who's telling the story is like, oh, he put up a fight. I mean, the snake is fighting for dear life, yeah. rattling for yeah. Jesus. True. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> oh, Theo, was that the working title, girl? Right? That was definitely a contender for the title of this doc. It was on the whiteboard, on a little (laughs) index card. Mm, A little too on the nose. And the snake, like, it's trying to bite. It has that, it's like hissing almost. You know, it's like trying to attack. Everyone is laughing. Bring us a new box out here. All right. Let me get the top down. (laughs) Yeah, please. Get the top down. Oh. No. They're hysterical laughing. I hate all of it. That's like, for me, the hardest part to hear is like the animal abuse and the fucking laughing. It is fucking terrible to watch what they're doing to these snakes. And the thing is, they do have to be confiscated because they are all potential murder weapons. But like, Glenn Summerford (laughs) is at fault here. Like, the cops are handling it so poorly. The laughing, there's no, like, is animal control there? Is there someone there who can make sure that like, I don't know, everything sucks. I know. And then they go into the house. They do a search of like the house, which I believe is like a double wide trailer. You guys, the house is so filthy. I, I wrote every single room is filthier than Stephen Avery's bathroom. Yes. Oh, that's a very good comparison. <laughs> you guys, go back and watch those scenes from Making a Murderer where we go into fucking Stephen filthy Avery's bathroom Disgusting. and we have to see where that guy poops. This house is grosser than that. He also doesn't wear underwear, remember? Ah, Sorry. I forgot about that. It's in that scene where yeah. he's like, and I don't wear any underwear yeah. or however he said it. But the cops are saying Just about every room was disarranged. You know, I mean, there was chairs turned over, covers strode around. I couldn't really determine if there had been a fight or not because of everything just strode around like it was. We didn't know if they had been robbed. Like, the place looks <laughs> ransacked. Right. Again, they're they're like, right. wait, okay, so we have, I'm sorry, do we have a case where a rattlesnake is a murder weapon? So right, they're right. trying to get their bearings here and figure yeah. everything out. And then this guy Clarence looks up and he sees, like, this bag that's oh hanging over a door. <laughs> and he goes, he says one of the most terrifying things in this documentary. He just goes, It started moving. And then it started moving. Yeah. And I am thinking it is a bushel of snakes, whatever, totally. you know, like yes. like a bunch of crows or a murder, like a murder of crows totally. or like a whatever. Totally. I Whatever the big it's collection of snakes, snakes is, it's yeah. a murder of snakes. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, they're just going to drop out. It's just going to be like oh 15 more rattlesnakes in this thing. It's a raccoon. The raccoon yeah. looks adorable. It's very sweet and cute. So a few days later, Glenn Summerford is arrested and charged with attempted murder. Great. Yeah, because his wife, Darlene, is saying that he forced her at gunpoint to handle the snakes and that's 
how she got bitten. He's saying that, no, 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 she went out there to kill herself and that, like, she's making up this story and he's being arrested because the cops don't like that he's a preacher or whatever. Right, and so this is where we learn that Glenn and Darlene, like, have a church. They just have one. And so they use these snakes all the time. That's why they have so many of them in their shed and they're abusing so many of these snakes because, like, they use them. And Glenn is the main preacher guy at this church. And again, this is, like, just super hard to watch because you know the snakes are so stressed out. And so, like, because Glenn is the head guy at this church they have and because he is this Pentecostal snake handler, we see all of this footage of these super stressed out snakes rattling and Glenn is, like, picking up several of them at once out of the box and handling them and and grandstanding and then putting them in the box. And I'm telling you, the soundtrack of this is a rattle and that means they're not happy. Like, I can't stress that enough. The snakes don't want to be here. And No, and, like, he's pulling them out in, like, bunches. Like, snakes, like, wrapped around each other. Like, two handfuls of snakes. And again, I ask, like, what is the point of this, though, in a religious... I don't understand why he's doing this. So now the people from the church are all instantly on Team Glenn. They all hate Darlene. They hate her. And so they're saying... The man was put on trial not for what he did, but for what he stands for, for serpent handling, the word of God. And it is the word of God. He's trying to preach the word of God, and that's why he's on trial, to which I say, shut up. Shut up. (laughs) We also see Darlene on Sally Jesse Raphael. Right? Oh, boy. In my notes, I just call her Sally Jesse because that's how we refer to her in my home. Sally (laughs) Jesse? Yeah. What what was she on, 3 (laughs) o'clock? Probably. We loved Sally Jesse. She was the classy one of them all. Nobody got murdered on her show, girl. She was not Jenny Jones. No, or fucking Maury Povich. Ugh. I know. Married to Connie Chung, I'll never get it. I'll never get what she sees in him. Every time we mention either one of them, we have to say who they're married to. Remember when we did the Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan thing? We were like, Connie also. It goes like this. It goes like, Sally Jesse Raphael brings you to Maury, which brings you to Connie, which brings you to Tanya. And then we have to talk about all those times that Tanya stormed out of interviews with Connie Chung. Right. Tanya. Oh my God. So now we're like, we're with the court stenographer. Who I love. Her name is Talitha Lovin, girl. Hell of a name. Again, there was for sure a gay in the 70s in the village with that name. I promise you. Talitha, get over here, girl. Lovin, come on. Yeah. So the thing about Talitha is that she's taking us to the courthouse because she was the stenographer. Try saying she was the stenographer. That's hard. She was the stenographer. Okay. Well, you're great at everything. But you said it perfectly, too. So she was the stenographer for this trial. And like, I know that this is not what this is about, but she's telling us a little bit about what it's like to be a stenographer. Court reporters are certified at 225 words a minute. So if you tried to type on a regular keyboard, there's no way. I mean, your fingers would be burning, smoking, everything. So that wouldn't be possible. So this is shorthand. Instead of symbols, we use letters. Fascinating. Fucking fascinating. She's yeah. talking about how, like, it's all shorthand. You know, there was truly, truly a time that I thought about going to school to be a court stenographer. Yeah? You think you're a fast typer? Oh, my God. She's saying 270 words a minute as a stenographer. My whole thing, too, is I don't think I would be able to keep myself quiet as a stenographer. I think I'd be, the, like, the grunting stenographer, make a musical out of that. Because I'd be like, mm. Like, (laughs) I would be looking at, like, the prosecutor. Are you going to object? Or or am I going to object? Yeah, like, sustained. What the fuck is that? I want the notes in the margin from the stenographers. Totally.
All right, so the reason we're with the stenographer is because she is going through the transcripts of what happened at this guy Glenn's murder trial for when he tried to kill his wife with the snake. And so Darlene is testifying and saying, look, Glenn forced my hand in the cage. I was bitten. He wouldn't let Darlene get any medical help. And then yeah. the next day, he forced her hand in the cage again. And Darlene says this is because that Glenn was accusing her of cheating. Right. He told her outright, I will kill you. It will be by a snake bite. Everyone will think it was an accident. And like, how dare you? So... You know, we learned that, like, Glenn gets convicted. He gets 99 years. He had two prior felony convictions. So the judge was, like, the judge's hand was forced. He had to give him 99 years. But also, we don't know what those other convictions are. I right. thought that would have been really valuable information. And I Googled it, and it's yeah. just not out there. So, it's like, I don't know what these are, but wow. I, would, I would like to know what they were. So now we meet this old lady. <laughs> we're in this, like, old lady's living room. And I literally went, oh, look, Glenn's mom is here. And nope. No. <laughs> it's Glenn's first wife. Her name is Doris. Yeah. So Doris is not Darlene with the snake bite. This was a little confusing at first. Totally agree. And Doris, I have to say... Hell of a sense of humor. She yeah. is coming here with a lot of levity, and yes. she is just like... My name is Doris Summerford. I'm Glenn Summerford's wife. Was. Was. Like, they are not together anymore. But she tells this story about, you know, they met in first grade. They were married in 1963. And she's like, which shows you how dumb I was. Am I right? Like hysterical <laughs> laughing over it. She tells the story about how, like Daisy's in first grade, right? She tells the story about how he came up to her like in school in first grade and said, I'm going to marry you. I met him when I was in the first grade. He run up and hollered he was going to marry me. And I said, no, you ain't. <laughs> September the 14th of 63, we might marry. We still you had done my was. <laughs> if I heard some little fucking bastard say that to my daughter, I would take his parents aside and have a strongly worded conversation with them. If you are happily in a partnership, if you're happily married, and yeah. your person said something similar like that to yeah. you, I'm yeah. not really talking to you, I guess. <laughs> We've spoken about this on the pod before. Like, that's just creepy. Like, if you walk yeah. up to someone in a bar and you're like, I'm going to marry you, I'd say, get the fuck away from me. You get an elbow right to the ribs. Are you kidding me? You're going to marry? Get out. Get. Who the hell do you think you are coming up to me and saying that to me? Get. Again, if you're happily married, then yes. I'm sorry. To somebody who did this, then right. But, like, again, this Glenn sucks. Right. Glenn totally sucks. So Doris is telling us he was the kind of guy who just, like, loved to fight, especially when he drank. This is what we always talk about. He's that guy in the bar that he walks in and you always have your eye on him. He's one of the guys in the bar where, honestly, I'd look at Mike or you, I'd say, like, can we go? Like, yeah, can we yeah, just yeah, go yeah. across the street? He, totally. that, I mean, he's that level. Like, yeah. it's, it's not enough for me to know where he is because then I'm really not having any fun. Yes. Can we just go? Totally. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, we're just getting more and more about, like, what a gross, aggressive man he was and how, like, in this town where he lived when he was married to Doris, like, you guys, he was part of this, like, weird Appalachian, like, fight club. Like, backwoods, bare knuckle boxing, like, really just intense. Yes, the beautiful blonde in the back. You have a question. You forgot the most important word. Shirtless. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this toxic masculinity is disgusting. It's got to stop. 
Oh, wait, they took their shirts off. Oh, wait, yeah, no, oh, hold oh, on hang, a second. Hang on, everyone, everyone calm down. Everyone took their shirts off. Remember in, this is a word you're also going to jump over. Remember the movie Snatch? Yes. With Brad Pitt and like a hundred other people, but that kind of like backwoods, bare knuckle fighting that Brad Pitt did where he was also subtitled because he was like the Irish guy. You don't want to, I mean, if we're going to do this with a Brad Pitt movie, you don't want to just do Fight Club. <laughs> because, no, but I'm saying this was actual backwoods, like yes. in Snatch, because Snatch came, was pre-Fight Club. I understand what you're saying. Fine, Fight Club. <laughs> Also, I apologize about the xylophone. Apparently, there it's a glockenspiel or whatever. I've gotten so many goddamn DMs about this. Let me tell you, I, I was vindicated AF. And it was something that where it was like, I just said it. Like, I've died on so many hills on I this know. podcast. Like, I've really, like, late. I'm like, I'm not budging. And yes. no one gave a shit. But about this thing where I was like, I think it was the bells. And you were like, no, girls. And I was like, okay. The DMs, the co- I mean, I it know. was it, vindicated. I know. So, you know, so someone was like, Jillian, don't ever let a man correct you. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Jesus. Anyway, the point is we're seeing a reenactment of this, like, fight club where these hot, shirtless, straight guys are rolling around on the floor on top of each other. Whew. Again, the West Village in the 70s. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the thing that we're learning about Glenn is that he's so insanely violent, but he would, like, punch a guy's eye out. Like, the eye came out. Right. And again, like... Uh, I'm not going to think this is cool. No. I don't think that makes him tough. And so no. we hear all these stories about like, he was so tough. He punched a guy's eye out. And like, that makes him a fucking monster. It's important in the, in this instance, because the guy whose eye he punched out was like, he was a guy that everybody really liked in the community. So like suddenly Glenn's got a million enemies and like people are like uh-huh. actually coming for him. So like we follow hot shirtless reenactment Glenn home from sure. the fight club one night, which he has to row to, by the way, like he gets in a boat to leave fight club. <laughs> This is a world at a time. It's like you're reading it in a, it's like a fantasy novel or like a sci-fi book where we like, you rode a canoe to the backwoods, bare knuckle, shirtless boxing. Really? He gets home and that, this is when we learn that he and Doris have a bunch of kids. We don't actually get a number, but they've got a, they have three. Oh Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. It's a xylophone. In my notes, it says they have three kids, question mark. It's unclear. unclear. So you're absolutely, I'm sorry, girl. I take it back, I take it back, I take it back. <laughs> Spoke too soon. We learned that one of the kids, this little like, eight, ugh, this little 18 month old girl just like loves her dad. We had a, a little girl. She was, uh, I think about 18 months old. No matter what time of night I come in, she would sit up and I'd sit up with her. She was just a daddy's girl for real. She would, like, wake up and make googly eyes at him, and, like, it's so fucking sweet. And so, you know, one night, he's hammered, having just rode back from Fight Club. He, like, passes out, and, like, they say a fire started, and they think that it was started by, like, an enemy from Fight Club, though they can't ever prove it. But suddenly, like, their house is up in flames. One of the oldest kids wakes everybody up, and they're, like, the dad, Glenn, is, like, throwing all the kids out the window to get them out. And Doris tells the story that, like, she goes to reach for the baby and she catches on fire and he grabs her and they fall out the window together and essentially the baby dies. The 18 month old dies in this fire. Sarah was one year, eight months, 25 days old when she died. But she, in her short life, she had uh, a lot of love. 
I sobbed. I mean, I, li- I sat yeah. at my desk and sobbed. Yeah, and, you know, Doris is going through it still. And this is where she explains, you know, look, I, I loved Glenn, but I was also terrified of him. Yeah. And she says he was crazy abusive. And she thinks, you know, maybe he had something to do with the fire. Again, there's no proof. And she said, you know. I had to be very careful what I said and what I did. To me, it was just abusive at times. He can be good. He can be bad. They say that this is kind of where he changes. He becomes like despondent and he's drinking even more and becoming even more violent. And Theo, the director, asks her, You think Glenn's capable of murder? Possibly. 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 (laughs) So now in the middle of all of this, they just went through this tragedy, right? Glenn and Doris. And so now Glenn starts seeing Darlene. Darlene, who is accusing Glenn of murder via rattlesnake. Yeah. So like this is where he meets her at this point in his life where like his daughters just died and his marriage to Doris is sort of falling apart. So you guys, at this point, we meet Darlene. I did not know if we were going to get to meet her. Uh She's here. She's giving us an interview on a dock at like... Like two in the morning, it feels like, and she's kind of a wreck girl. When I married him, I was 19, almost 20 when I married him. Then he didn't even marry me in his real name because he's done still married. <laughs> From the first day I got married to him, I didn't want to be married no more. <laughs> I truly wish her well. She is going through it. She's on something, probably a handful of things. Like she's had not a great life and she needs a lot of help. So Theo, (laughs) I hope you helped her. I hope you were nice to her. I'm sure Theo was very nice to her. Yeah. And so she says like the same thing that Doris has been saying. Like she says the day she married Glenn is the day she wanted to not be married anymore. He was really abusive. He was garbage. I think we've hit that point home. Right? Glenn sucks. Great. But they had a son named Marty. Yeah. And Marty is here with us today. Another shock. And so the thing about Marty and Darlene is that they really, as terrified as they were of Glenn, they also believed in him as a pastor. And they believed in all of this, like... We're going to talk about demons, you guys. We're here. We're back. We're talking about demons. And this is just fucking bullshit. So they're like, Marty, Glenn's son. Remember, Glenn is like, becomes the pastor of this church. And Marty is describing like his dad performing an actual exorcism and pulling an actual physical demon out of somebody's body. I saw demons cast out. I saw my daddy do it. I wasn't but about eight, maybe nine. Saw him cast one out of a guy one night at church. And it literally came out and run across the floor. I mean, it was was crazy looking. And the demon is running around to try to find another host, like try to find another body to jump into. And Marty, in his mind, is telling the truth. Yeah, right. Yes. It never happened. Right. And Darlene has a story about this too, because at one point Darlene is like, I super wanted to kill Glenn. Like, just just to be clear, like I really wanted to kill him, but I realized like, one, I'm not that kind of gal. And two, even if I wanted to, it's impossible to kill him because Glenn actually has a demon living in him. And I know this because one night- I watched it happen, girl. The story is like one night she saw this demon. I kept saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. It went out of the room and he woke up and said, what are you doing? I said, getting that demon out of here. And he said, you ain't rebuked no devil. And I said, yes, I did. And he said, well, call it back in here. And I did. And he came back and got in. 
she's like, Glenn, girl, there's a demon in our room. And Glenn's like, no, there isn't. Like, summon it again, bitch. Like, summon, yeah. like, totally. Like, even, he's a dick even in this moment. Know, it's so I ridiculous. Know. And Darlene's like, fine. So she calls the demon and, like, the demon comes back in and jumps into Glenn's body. Again, Darlene believes, like, full stop that this happened. So Darlene's like, I couldn't kill him if I wanted to because he's inhabited by actual evil and he'll just, like, reincarnate or whatever. And what makes me so crazy about that is that that lets Glenn off the hook for all of his bad behavior. Exactly. That, like, somewhere in there is, like, the good Glenn, the nice Glenn, like, like, the good husband and the good father, and it's this demon who actually is the one who tried to kill me. No, Darlene, no, girl. I gotta tell you, I don't think there's a good Glenn. No. I'm saying it. So we get to the night of the incident, what this whole documentary is about, where, like, the snake bite or whatever. And so, according to Glenn, Glenn's side of the story is that their marriage had been really bad, and she was cheating on him, and she came clean about it, and she wanted to repent for it. And so she went out to the snake shed to kill herself. Life had gotten so bad and their marriage had gotten so bad and there was no way out that she decided to go out and kill herself by snake bite. And Glenn's last piece of evidence is that Darlene left what is being referred to as a suicide note. Mm-hmm. And so like we hear the note. Talitha Love, the, the stenographer, right. reads us the suicide note. Marty, I love you. Do what daddy says. Daddy was asleep. I tried to fix everything, but it didn't work out. Don't blame daddy because he loves me and trying to help me, but I wouldn't listen. Daddy's asleep and he don't know what I'm doing. Marty, always remember, I love you for the good, not the bad, but love you. And the suicide note's interesting because it's mostly about Glenn. According to Glenn, Darlene wrote this note and it's to Marty and it's like, just live a happy life and just be a good person and blah, blah, blah. But Darlene apparently writes in this note about 10 times, daddy's asleep, daddy's asleep, daddy's asleep. So that is very suspicious to begin with. Yeah, and so Theo has the same question. So now we're back with Darlene to get Darlene's side of the story. Uh And Theo's like, girl, tell me about the suicide note. It made me write that note. And well, the district attorney he noted it, but too when he read it, I think it was very important. The wording of the note itself. I mean, here's someone who is fixing to commit suicide, and all through the note is this repetition of. He's asleep, he's asleep, he's asleep. And so, like, to back up Darlene saying he made me write that, we get the DA from the time of the court case being like, if you read this note, the whole point of this note was just giving Glenn an alibi. This is not a woman who's about to take her own life. Right. I mean, she says Glenn is asleep 15 times. That's weird. Right. And so, on the Friday night, they have this big fight, and it gets really violent. She says she kicks him in the balls. He chases her out of the house with a gun. And somehow, the whole thing calms down enough that they get home. He is trying drinking and she says well that's the first night he made me put my hand in the box first time i got to get right in my meat on my bone the next day he said if you go to the store with me and get me some more whiskey and he said he would take me to the hospital about to go do that he drags her out to the snake shed and makes her stick her hand in the snake box now he's got a gun to her head she says like she knows if she doesn't do what he says he's going to shoot her so she sticks her hand in the snake box she gets bitten and then like he refuses to let her go to the hospital But the next morning, he drags her all over town, like, to a blockbuster, to return videos, and to the grocery store and the liquor store, so that if she ever tries to say that he tried to kill her, he's like, no, she was fine. And all these witnesses saw her being fine. And then the next night, Darlene says, he does it all over again. Again, at gunpoint, put your hand, that's already bitten and infected, put it in the snake cage again. And she's saying that, like, he's saying at 7 o'clock, I'm going to make you do that again, and this time you're going to die. And she tells the story. This is when we see her on Sally Jesse, my friend Sally Jesse's TV show. Your best friend in the whole world. <laughs> she got me through my childhood, Jillian. I liked her very much. I said that with 
if I wasn't saying that as a dig, I meant it. Truly. This is obviously after he's been sent to jail because she's on Sally Jesse with his sister who's defending him. And she is telling this crazy story about... Made me go out to the shed. You know, I was praying. I was scared because I know he was going to kill me. He made me take the lid off that box. And he had this gun right here. And I know he would stick my face in there if I didn't rip down to get the snake. I know enough about snakes that I know if you get bit in the face, you won't live. He's got her by the hair, and he's trying to stick her face in the snake cage. And, like, just the visual of that. And, like, we're seeing actual snakes. And, like, she says, I knew that if I got bit on this face, I would die. She's like, I know enough about snakes to know that. So to sort of appease him, she sticks her hand in again. The snake bites her on the thumb, like, takes a chunk out of her hand. She's still alive. And then, like, somehow he comes down she gets him another fifth of vodka you've been up two or three nights i gave him another fifth of vodka and it made him pass out i was proud of it too yeah she's like when he drinks vodka that's when he passes out like what is he a chatty <laughs> drunk on whiskey or he's, he's a violent <laughs> drunk on whiskey but vodka like puts him right to sleep and i'm like i do not have that experience but she knows that and so she gets him to get hammered and basically pass out and that's when she finally has the time yeah. and the, the opportunity to call our friends at the Piggly Wiggly. And they show up and they pick her up. I guess they do. We never find out but I guess they do get her to the hospital in Birmingham I guess. Okay, no anti-venom in the ambulance. Then they take her to a hospital. Nothing there. And then 90 miles later I mean I she's okay enough. She's here. She lived. She definitely needs a lot of help. And the case was open and shut. Like we're back to Dr. Burton our narrator. He tells us the trial lasted only two and a half days and ended with Glenn being found guilty of attempted murder. He was a former two-time offender and the judge had no recourse but to give him 99 years. And like we've been hearing this guy interviewing Glenn in prison the whole time and you sort of get the sense that he believes his story that like she was trying to kill herself and that she's lying and then all of a sudden you hear him on the tape being like Glenn you haven't been telling me the truth I'm sorry you have not told me the truth as a man of God you've got to tell me the truth Glenn is like, I was sober this whole time, by the way. And right. Dr. Burton's like, sweetheart, I've spoken to 60 of your closest friends. Everyone says you're hammered all the time. And then Glenn on tape, we hear Glenn himself say, What if I told you I didn't even know the truth? Well, what would you say if I told you I don't know what happened? Like, Glenn is lying. Like, obviously he got hammered and fucking did this to his wife and is exactly where he should be. Yeah, and he's an inherently violent person. And then Dr. Burton's like, that's the last time I saw him. Oh, wait, no, no, no. That was before the escape. And I'm like, the what? I had a total gay gasp. I was like, this fucking monster escaped from prison? What? And then, Theo, I love you, girl. We get the shadiest on-screen text. It says, on February 21st, 2003, Glenn Summerford escaped from prison. And then there's nothing. And I was like, is he out there? And then the next on-screen text says 45 minutes later he was found in a dumpster and is currently serving the remainder of his 99 year sentence he has not yet ascended to heaven that's what i was like "Ooh, the shade of it all because his whole thing is like i'll be fine i'll ascend into heaven everybody yeah. don't you worry about me and so for theo to end with that i was like "Ooh, the shade of it all you're back on my good side thanks thanks for ending it on a high note Oh my 
my God, you guys, we did Alabama Snake. What a crazy one, Ooh. girl. Look, I didn't know. I didn't know how it was gonna go. I think we did okay. We though. did great. We, we did great with all the snakes and the religion. <laughs> I think we we really handled ourselves well. I mean, honestly. Yeah. Uh, you guys, if you want more of us, join us on the Patreon at the five dollar level. You get over hundred and fifty full bonus ad free episodes to download a binge right away. You guys, you get all of that right when you sign up. So it's like All Begun in the Dark and The Vow and Fear City and Lorena and a wilderness of error that we're right in the middle of right now, which we're totally obsessed with. You guys have to help us figure this one out. Also, like you know, Serial the Staircase, all that stuff. That you love. Also, ad-free versions of these episodes, after parties, ringtones, video stuff. There's more Jillian and me than you even want in your lives. We're starting an advice column, apparently. <laughs> We're now giving you advice. We have an email set up. We'll let you know. But join the page. We only post about it on the page. It's, right. it's not in the Facebook group. So you, if you want our advice, whenever we do this, you got to get on Lady Pates. Girl, what are we doing next? <sighs> we are doing Untouchable on Hulu about garbage Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Oh, my God. All right, you guys. Ooh, let's skewer him. Let's get him. Let's get him. Ooh, I hate him. Um, you guys, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Stay tuned for our hilarious and amazing outtakes, girl. Yeah, I hope you have time because there's a lot of them. I hope you carved out some time in your cow. In your eye cow. All right, we love you guys. We love you. Thanks. All right, bye. Bye. More women are now accusing Harvey Weinstein. Including some very high-profile actresses. Nearly 80 have accused Weinstein of misconduct. I was going to have dinner with him at the Beverly Hills Hotel. He said, can we have a drink upstairs at yours? So obviously this is the part that's very hard to talk about. Things got very uncomfortable very fast. He no longer seemed to want to talk about work. I said, no, I don't do that. And he was, you're making a very big mistake. When you read about rape, read she kicks and screams i just froze i said no and i pushed him away more than once and then i just stopped when i tried to tell people they said you better keep your mouth shut well, i saw a lot about how the machine works in terms of burying scandals and settlements nobody was ever going to win against this guy I was hearing stories which you could dismiss as rumor. I was being told these women are crazy. You have to do something. I couldn't believe that they were telling the story as though they were writing about me. Mr. Weinstein intends to enter a plea of not guilty. When you pick out the most grotesque, there's the sense that, okay, we've taken care of the problem. It's not over. It continues. to tell you i know hank Did I, have i told what? you this wait 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 we know wait someone in the facebook group i think like knew her or something they, I, it's hank philippi ryan she used to do the whgh tv in boston i did not make the connection i worked at whgh tv when i was in college that's where i did an internship oh wait you know her know her not just I, like you I've know her met from her the news? i met i met reporter hank can you believe it I cannot! I, I can't believe this! And she's been commenting in the Facebook group and stuff about the episode. She thinks it's hilarious. And I was like, oh my god, I actually know reporter Hank! Okay, this is a I, whole... We I, got. We have too I, much to I, get to. I, you dropped this on me now? I know, I know, I know. You guys, we'll do an after party. We'll do an after party about Hank Philippi Ryan. She's a legend. Okay, great. It's chaos down here, Tom. <laughs> what are you, what are you, tired, Tom? Yeah, had a big lunch, did you? Okay. My coffee's been cold for two hours, but no, have your gigantic sandwich. It's deluxe, right? With the fries, of course, Tom. <laughs>
I'm obsessed. Is that where Appalachia is? You know what? What? You won. Wait, what, what did I? What? What was the contest? You you get to be you forever. Oh now. yes, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you get to wake up and be you, and those bullies get to. I think you know. Look, I was bullied to shit too. Let me tell you. And I, I get to I get to hang out with you on a weekly basis and yeah. do shit. Come on. Fuck you, Chris Richardi. I do think that Piggly Wiggly would be an appropriate quarantine nickname for me. I mean, it's a great drag name. <laughs> if, I'm sure it is. <laughs> this season on RuPaul's Drag Race. One time I was walking down 187th Street in Harlem on the way to the subway uh -huh. at 5 in the morning, and I heard, like, a noise on this, like, w the one tree. There was a fucking raccoon the size of a dog climbing yeah. this thing. I screamed and ran for my gay life. And they have, like, thumbs and shit. Like, they're, they're super uh, dexterous. I know. I know. No, if a raccoon sets its sights on you, girl, you're in trouble. You in danger, girl. <laughs>